This episode is being recorded out of Shop Talk Podcast Studios in Oak Park, Michigan. For more information, visit www.shoptalkpod.com. What's going on, guys? It's your boy, James D. Anderson, and welcome back to another episode of the Hashtag Be Great With Your Money podcast. And in this episode, we're going to be revisiting investing. I know we're going to be talking about investing once again, so let's get to it. All right, ladies and gentlemen, so what is going on? We are back at the little hiatus, but we had to come back for Urban Podcast Month 2019. If you did not know, May is Urban Podcast Month. So, you know, we kick it with the Shop Talk Network. We had to come up here and actually do a podcast to get things actually going. And listen, guys, I am super excited because... Talking about investing is one of my favorite subjects that we can absolutely talk about. And the great thing about it is that it's one of those things that a lot of people don't know a lot about. Now, I got a special guest in the building with me right here. We're going to go knee deep into some information. But here's the thing. I want to make sure that you guys understand this. This is not investment. Uh, giving you investment advice. We're not telling you what to invest in. We're just kind of giving you the trips, the, 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 the things that we have went through. Um, the kind of trips we've been on in our life as far as money, as far as investing, just giving you some insight of what we've done and what we've seen out there, but no way, shape, or form, of course, consult your tax professional or your investment professional if you're going to decide to do anything in the marketplace. But what I want to do is I'm not going to spend too much time talking. You guys know me. It's your boy, James D. Anderson, at I am J.D. Anderson, your host of the Be Great With Your Money podcast, the facilitator that talks about everything about business, money, capitalism, and finance, and we are here in the building with my brother, no other. One of my good business partners, Mr. Robert Lawson. So, man, go ahead and introduce yourself for the people. Say, say what up to him. All right. Uh, so, like you said, my name is Robert Lawson. I've been in investing for about 13 years now. Uh, my current position is senior uh, treasury analyst, where I'm responsible for the alternative investment strategy at a $5 billion endowment. Um, when you say alternative investments, a lot of times folks don't know what that means. So, that's hedge right. fund, private equity, uh, private debt, and venture capital. Um you know, I started my career as an investment broker with a large firm and, you know, gone through a few different growth stages. And now I'm here and I love doing what I do. Uh, I see myself doing this for the next 30 years. OK, that's what's up, man. So let's jump into the conversation, man, and kind of talk a little bit about the marketplace where things are at. So last time, this time last year, um, was Bitcoin like up? Cryptocurrency was like up this time last year, right? It's up, and it's up now. It uh, just actually spiked 5% overnight, I think. 5%, okay. Yeah, yeah. And that's what's up. So if you guys have been living under a rock, right, you know, you had that idea where um, everybody was saying just get into crypto to get into crypto, right? right? Because they said it doesn't matter what number you buy that, just buy it. Right. And I actually know a lot of people that went out and finance, like remortgage their houses and oh, stuff wow. like that and put money in it. Yeah. And they bought literally like one, like the coins when they were like at 19,000. At the highest point. Yeah, at the yeah. highest point. And it just went down yeah. and it was like, you know, one guy was like super upset because he, you know, I think he bought four of them. So yeah. it was like 80,000 and it went down to like 24,000. So yeah. you lost 75% of the, the value. Yeah. But what I want to talk about, I'm using... Bitcoin and, you know, all cryptocurrencies are, they all lead back to, you know, Bitcoin anyway. Right. They base their market index based upon that because it's all right. speculative. Right. But what I want to talk about um, as far as a question I get mm. is with regards to investing long term. 
So people look at investments as I want to get in, make the money, make the spread and get out. And then you have a certain people that look at investing as far as let me just get in for the long run. I'm going to ride the wave. Mm. So from your experience, what you've been seeing out here with people, what where do people fare better at? Do they fare better at being active and, and on the aspect of making profits quickly or do they fare more on, you know, planning out for the long run, thinking 5, 10, 15 years ahead? Well, uh what, the question you're really asking gets at what's called the law of averages, right? Mm-hmm. So you have unique individuals who might outperform the market, and those you know, are what we would call a statistical outlier. So they're not average, right? We're mm-hmm. talking about what will the average experience be for the average person. Um, the answer is long-term investing. So mm-hmm. when you look at you know, the stock market, billions of people, billions of dollars playing all day, every day, right? Warren Buffett, the most revered investor in the past 50 right. years has underperformed the stock market over the past 10 years. Mm-hmm. So if you take somebody like Warren Buffett, who has the tremendous resources at his disposal, the teams, has, the, the lawyers, teams, the lawyers, yeah. all, all of that stuff working in his advantage, if you would just put your money in an S&P 500 index fund, you would have had a better return than Warren Buffett. Right. And I think that kind of speaks volumes to uh, the idea that if you want to make short-term profits, that's that's possible. I'm not saying that that's wrong or there's anything wrong with it. You can actually make a living doing that. Mm-hmm. But if you're talking about how am I going to set myself up for retirement, you know, when I was a day trader, people have the mistake of thinking day traders make money on every trade. Right. I, I mean, one of my most recent positions, I was trading currencies, right, because that was we were hedging risk at uh, uh, auto supplier. But the idea with day trading is you make – a profit on more trades than you make a loss on. So with that loss inherent to your daily operations, people don't conceive that as I'm actually losing money on days where I should be making, right? Mm-hmm. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, you may lose $200 a day. Thursday and Friday, you might make $600 and that offset your loss. You right. know what I'm saying? So day trading is possible. Short-term trading is definitely, I mean, you can make 60% um, in a day. Right. You know? But if you're just talking about how do I get to a million dollars, the average person will have more success getting to that million by just being a long-term investor. Okay. Now, when you said uh, S&P index fund, mm-hmm. for the people that don't know that's listening, what exactly is that? Okay. So the stock market is uh, composed of all these companies that are public. You know, if you start um, if you start a restaurant, mm-hmm. right, that's an asset, and you have the right to sell that asset, and we, and we can break those sales up into smaller chunks called shares. The share value of your company is the number of shares times the price of each share. Mm-hmm. So if you have a million-dollar restaurant, you might have a million shares priced at $1 each. Okay. The S&P 500 is an index, which is a list of companies that share something in common. So the index, in this case, is the 500 largest companies. So you okay. take the share price multiplied by the value of that share. You take the 500 biggest ones, and you put them on a list and call it the S&P 500. Okay. So the S&P 500 is intended to represent kind of a broad view of the American economy. Like if you want to know where is the American economy going, the S&P 500 will be a good place to look to see how it's grown, uh, to see if it's headed in a positive or negative direction. So if you see a lot of companies in the S&P 500 sinking in value or if a lot of those companies are firing people like mass layoffs, mm-hmm. that might be an indication that the economy is kind of headed towards more of a you know sideways or downward trend. Right. So – the S&P 500 is just broadly taken as the standard measure of investment performance. Right. So so it doesn't include, like, one company. Like, a lot of people think that the S&P 
500 is like this company. Now, the the rating agency technically, the standards report is rating agency right. is technically an entity, but it's not like a company per se. You know, it's it's a it's a kind of a pulse of everything because there's all these different industries mixed together. Right. You kind of get a high level pulse. It's kind of like when people say like the the auto industry, right? right. You know, it's GM four Chrysler. Yeah, Chrysler yeah. Everybody's in there, and now. And sidebar, you seen that headline about Renault joining up with FC Hay? Yeah. Okay. We might we might touch on that. We might touch on that okay. because uh that's that's interesting to me. Um but people look at need to understand the difference of what they're really investing in. Right. And I'm glad you brought up the S P five hundred index because I mean what is it, ten point one percent, nine point seven percent is done over the last 20, 30 years or something like that? Um, so just so far this year, I think the S&P is at about 13%, and that's off from 17% um, just as much as three weeks ago, I think. Yeah. So, you know, it's definitely taken a, a small hit, but that's to be expected. And I'm just going to focus on this year briefly. Mm-hmm. Um, so as of April, late April, the S&P 500 was up uh, 17%. Okay. Right now, let's say – as an investment manager in my position, if I return 17%, I did 18% last year. Mm-hmm. But if I return 17%, like I'm I'm getting high fived all the way to work, right? Right. So in theory, you could have just sold everything at the end of April and just went on vacation for the rest of the year, right? right. As, as an investment manager. But since none of us can actually do that, <laughs> what ends up happening is we start to take those hits, we take those losses. So the reason the correction that we're experiencing right now is good is if the S&P had stayed on track for what it had, had been doing, it would be at 80% by the end of the year. And mm-hmm. we've never seen an 80% year. So it was unrealistic. And it was expected that the market was going to you know, reverse a little bit just to moderate and get to a more realistic end-of-year annual return. Now, when you talk about um, you know, performance over the past 10 years or so, you know, if we're tracking back to the Great Recession, the S&P 500 has done very well yeah. since then, as all markets have. So... You know, we'll come back to your example about the Bitcoin, but the thing is the average investor likes to get into the market when things are high, mm-hmm. right? The, you'll hear a common phrase, which is average investors lose, right? Mm-hmm. The average investor likes to get into the market and they buy high and sell low. This is common, and that's why a lot of people are turned off by the stock market. No, average investor, this is just your person that's working, trying to get into the market, right. got some money. They, right. they they know they need to be investing, but they don't quite know what to do. Exactly. Okay. That's, that's the exact uh, definition. So you have somebody who wants to get in. They see a lot of people around them making money. They hear it on the news. They read it in the news. They're like, oh, my God, I finally want to get in to your point of mm-hmm. uh, the guy with the Bitcoin. And they end up buying at the height of the market. Right. And we see this repeat time and time again. Like the very first uh, market crash. I don't know if you've heard of this, but the orchid scare. Mm-hmm. So for the viewers who don't know, um, I think this was in the 1600s, 1700s. Yeah. Orchids were uh, rare in Europe. Right? Absolutely. So trading orchid bulbs was a high prize thing. And people started trading them. And, and like a single orchid bulb would be worth one of those castles like the Queen of England lives mm-hmm. in, right? So the average person, you know, average British citizen, whatever they were, started like mortgaging their homes and mortgaging their farms and doing all of this stuff. And then suddenly orchids were worth nothing. Yeah, they right? were worth nothing. So throughout history, we've seen a tendency of the average person, just the person who's not exposed to the markets, who doesn't deal with it every day, mm-hmm. uh, they buy high and sell low all the time. So the key to success and investing really is to be the opposite of that mindset. When 2008 happened, everybody got out of the market. 
all the smart money went into the market. Right. We were like, you know what? It's not going to get any cheaper. And if it does, I'll just keep buying. Right. Right. And if you did, you've done very well since then. But now people are looking at it like, oh, well, uh, I want to get in now. And I'm not saying it's a bad time, but you definitely have to um, be cognizant of where the market is and where it may be headed. Right. And that, and that's a good point. Right. And the, the, the orchid thing, you know, uh, not to go into the big history lesson, but, you know, they were, you know, orchids were thought to be magical back then, medicinal, yep. very yep. valuable. They thought it would bring you wealth. Yep. It was all types of things. And it just proves that, you know, and this is this is one of my kind of jokes against crypto. Not that I'm knocking it, but it's just mm-hmm. one of the jokes that. Mm-hmm. You know, it's worth whatever the market is willing to pay for it. Right. You know, a flower or orchid, an orchid bulb to grow orchids were, like you say, worth castles, just right. worth whatever the value is, you right. know, versus um, I think in some of the African countries, they show people buying like a loaf of bread with a wheelbarrow full of their cash and their right. currency. It's all depending on what the marketplace is willing to pay for it. So to segue into that, if I have a person that, um, let's say, for instance, and I, and I hate to say it like this, but you know they're online, right? Mm-hmm. Everybody's trading at a hundred, two hundred percent online on mm-hmm. social media, right? You know, just just go search the hashtag investment on Instagram, right? Everybody's three hundred percent. Everybody's three hundred percent stuff like that. All this crazy <laughs> stuff, right? And we just know that's not possible for the right. long term. Right. Um, how can a person kind of weed through that information to know, like? All right, what this person's saying is legit. Because, like, a lot of times I make posts, it don't be sexy, right? right? So, like, I was like, well, you know, guys, if you actually bought Netflix, like, four years ago, it was 90 bucks. Now it's at $343 or something like that. You know, I got in when it was, like, 110 or something. Right. So, but it's a long-term play for me because I knew that's where digital media was going for. Mm-hmm. Um, I knew they were going to be raising the prices from 799 to 999 right. So, I saw, like, easy Sorry, revenue um, things for the company, which is going to inherently, if the company makes more money, the share price goes up. Right. I'm an investor. I went on both ends. Right. So, and as a consumer too, because I have Netflix, you know, how can a person weed through some of that stuff? Like when they see some of that and they don't quite understand, how can they, you know, just just be like, all right, this sounds like too good to be true. Right. Although it might be true, but is is not. It's true in a snippet, right? Yeah. You can make three hundred percent in six hours, but you was negative 40 for the past three months, you right, know? Right. Um, you kind of hit it on head. Is it too good to be true? So I think the average person hears percentages and they don't really fully understand what that means, right? So if I say I can give you 10% for mm-hmm. seven years or I can give you 100% for one year, right? which one would, most people are going to take that 100%. The fact, though, is if you're taking that 10% over seven years, I would have doubled your money. And if I gave you 100%, you know, you technically need a 300% compounded growth rate to double your money in a single year. Right. So you actually make more money with that smaller percentage. And people are wowed by multiples, right? Mm-hmm. Multiples is what draws people in. So if I say, you know what, I can triple your money. Simple, that's right? What people, that's what people gravitate towards. So mm-hmm. they're looking for those higher percentages, not realizing that really the average return of the stock market, the S&P 500, is 9.8% a year. Right. You put $250 in it 90 years ago, it would be worth a million dollars today. You're doing absolutely nothing. You could be the biggest, you know, least interested person in the world in managing your investments right. and just will be a millionaire for, for just letting the money sit. Right. right. 
So well, that's 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 how old money gets to become old money, yeah, right? Yeah. Somebody takes the money, they put it into something, they don't touch it, and it'd be really safe, like tax-free municipal bonds. Yeah. It'd be you know index funds. Yeah. It'd be mutual funds. It'd be very um, predictable, yeah. non-sexy, boring, <laughs> you know, but. The thing is, you know, it pays out a dividend and it completely grows and the money just sits there yep. and it just grows. You right. know, it's amazing. I had um, I had actually forgotten about an account I had put into a um, a uh, mutual fund and T. Roy Price, the mm-hmm. balance fund. So my previous um, employment, right, I had because I had worked there for a certain amount of time, mm-hmm. they gave you a profit sharing check mm-hmm. um, personally as, you know, commissions or mm-hmm. wages. And uh, depending on what type of how you were employed with them, and then they also gave you a profit sharing check um, in a form of a payment to your four hundred one k. So since I worked there part year, I got a part profit sharing check just out of the blue mail to me. It was just a check, boom. You know, it was supposed to go towards the four hundred one k. Had the paperwork with it. You know, mm-hmm. they showed the days and the months I worked, the projects I worked on. I was like, sweet, dope. Yeah. It was like seventeen hundred dollars, okay. right? So this was five years ago, mm-hmm. and I was like, um. So I'm like, well, I can take the cash. You know, do I really need the cash? I don't need the cash right now. Mm-hmm. And then I don't want to pay the taxes on it. You know what I'm saying? So I'm like, well, let me just throw it into a, uh, I opened up just a quick traditional IRA, literally did it online, typed in the check number and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Um, got the account open, mailed T-Row Price to check. And by the next week, the account was live and open. Mm-hmm. And as of uh, last week when I checked it, mm-hmm. it's like $3,300. Double money. And I forgot about it. Yeah. I literally forgot about it. And it is in the balance fund, you know. Not aggressive at all. Not aggressive, not sexy. It's like the greenest of the greenest of the greenest yeah. fund you can get in. Yeah. You know, it's like, and it was like, I was like, wow, like, you know, that just shows you the the compounding over time. Right. Now, multiply that instead of five years, take that 20. 50 years, yeah, you know. It's like, years. wow, like that can grow to some serious income. Serious money. And that's the thing. So, you know, getting to your earlier point about uh, sorting through all these promises of giant returns, right? right? So here's the way I look at it. Uh, the private markets that I deal with, so these are hedge fund managers, you know what I'm saying? Like Ray Dalio, for example, one of the biggest hedge fund managers in the world. He was an average guy. He had, his dad was a jazz musician, so right. he grew up broke, right? Right, <laughs> like, yeah, musicians are broke. <laughs> unless you like Alexander Zanchik or somebody, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> right. he, he, jazz, jazz dad ain't, ain't bringing in the money, so mm-hmm. he's worth, I think, some like 50 or $60 billion mm-hmm. right now. So... He got there because he's an amazing <laughs> trader. Right? right now, if you're that great of a trader, why aren't you in the billion dollar club, in the hundred million dollar club at least? And I mean, to technically be considered ultra wealthy in this country, you have to have thirty million. Why aren't you at least in the ultra wealthy? Club hold on, hold on. Let me break. Let me go back to what you said. So if you're so good to get three hundred percent and four hundred percent over and over and over again, right. why ain't you on Wall Street? Right. Why are you not making the big bucks? Right. So your six hundred dollars that you made two hundred percent on, you know, if you're that good, go, why you go keep doing it and charge people to? I mean, so the the fees that we pay, so the average hedge fund fee or private market fee is what's called two and twenty. So if you have a hundred thousand dollars, right, they take two percent of your money off top every year, two mm-hmm. grand gone. Then on the investment performance, let's say they took that hundred thousand, they grew it to one hundred and fifty thousand, they take twenty percent of that. Right, so that's how hedge fund twenty percent off the growth, off the growth. Yeah, so it'll so be another ten thousand dollars. So okay. off that one account, they made twelve percent that year. Right? right, so that's how it's so common for a hedge fund manager to be a billionaire. But the thing is, 
there's thousands of hedge funds. It's only a handful of them that are billionaires because right. those are the really good. Those ones. the Kobe Bryant's. That's those the LeBron Kobe's. James. That's, that's Kobe, LeBron, stuff. That's that's who those guys right. are. Now, if you are so predictably generating three hundred percent, hundred percent, two hundred percent, fifty percent. Go be a hedge fund. Go, somebody go gonna make that money. If you're that good, somebody yeah. gonna come find you. Somebody probably will come find you. You'll get recruited because it's believe me, it's the entire ecosystem of people who who pick off of that two and twenty. Right. You know? So, yeah, they will be doing that. Right now, I, I did eighteen percent last year. Mm-hmm. That's great. Yeah. But I'm not promising. I don't know what I'm gonna do this year. Right. <laughs> say I might. I might do ten. Who knows? But the thing is realistic returns are not to your point attract they're not sexy right. they don't make people ears perk up because people are thinking of multiples and they're thinking of multiples today now with that multiple to your point in three years double without you even looking at it, i mean I, right? for, literally, I literally forgot about it like right. the only reason why i actually paid attention to it because mm-hmm. they did so, because of the market mm-hmm. they did a uh, uh, rebalancing okay. of the the fund so yep. they sold some stuff they bought some stuff and by law they're supposed to send you a, a um a composition uh, list of you know what investments they sold what yeah. they gathered and stuff like that so I had a little packet that came to the to the house you know I opened it up you know I'm like oh okay this is my I forgot about this yeah I forgot about this you know I mean <laughs> thank <account>. yeah <laughs> thank you for I'm 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 blessed to be able to say that you yeah. know it's not bragging but it's just blessed to yeah. to have that and um you know I looked at it I was like okay cool you know what I'm saying I was like you know new company was required this was so mm-hmm. you know you got your different voting shares and stuff mm-hmm. like that your proxies and stuff you know all the you know the end of the year stuff you got to do when right. you invest in anyway and I was like well wow like I didn't notice that you know this has grown by that much and it plays a it pays a pretty significant dividend in a lot of those shares in there mm-hmm. um and we were talking like you know dollar 50 2 dollars per share mm-hmm. and let's just say for instance that you know, it's a hundred bucks. Like I tell people, if it's a hundred bucks and you make two dollars off of it, that's still two percent return. Right. That's quarterly. So right. that's eight percent in cash flow, not based upon what's well, based upon the performance, but is is cash flow coming off those shares right. you have? You know, right. And and it's it's performance of the company on the market level, not necessarily on the investment level. Exactly. So it's like how many cars the GM sell mm-hmm. versus what analysts think of GM stock. Those are you know two different metrics, but. Um, to your point about like that income, um, I think you touched on it a little bit earlier, but the key to wealth and, you know, this is that old money example, all that is separating your income from your net worth or earnings. Right. right? So we're separating your labor from your earnings. That's really what it is. So if you think about um, take General Motors, again, mm-hmm. you know, or let's let's do Henry Ford because that's a, a relatable person okay. you can think of. Uh, Henry Ford, when he started those factories, $5 a day wage. Those workers were not generating $5 a day in value. Oh, no. Right? Oh, no. They were generating probably $8, $15 a day. And then he had to pay some managers. He had to pay some real estate. He probably had to pay some bribes. I don't know. Yeah, you know. <laughs> but at the end of the day, he was even if he was making a dollar a day off each worker, that was a dollar a day times 10,000 workers. Yeah. Right? So... He, that's leverage, man. Yeah, that's and, and and that's really what investing does for us mm-hmm. is is taking our old money, right, and allowing it to work again and again, and it's separating our labor from our earnings. And when you really get to do that, that's how you get away from living check to check. You know, right. That's how you get away from worrying about bills because you're leveraging all those workers out there that are in, myself included, you know, generating more money than we're actually receiving an in income. No. That's how business operates. That's how capitalism operates. And the stock market is an open tool for all of us 
to participate in that. Right. Yeah. I mean, and when you talk about, um, you know, the the separating your income and your earnings and, you know, putting it into a play, I like to always say, you know, you might be earning income now, but you need to be working to build income for later. Mm-hmm. You know, so having enough money coming in for today, mm-hmm. but also having enough to put into some some different assets uh, for individuals later on because they have to be income-producing assets. Right. And that's what I tell people. A lot of people are like, well, James, I want to go into real estate. I'm like, that's cool. I'm with that, but are you going to be flipping houses or are you going to be acquiring property? Mm-hmm. It's two different things, right? Because mm-hmm. if you just flipping, 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 you're just working. Right. You're just taking some money, you're flipping it, you're selling it. Ain't right. nothing wrong with it. I'm not knocking it. Do right. your thing. But eventually you got to, okay, this is a dope property. Let me keep that. Right. This is a dope commercial property. Let me keep that. You got to eventually like start. Yeah, portfolio. Right. So that way you can't be you can't be flipping and jumping and backflipping all your life. What if you get in an accident? Yeah. And you, know? you can't particularly work. Or what happens if a new zoning law come in or you get priced out in the marketplace? A lot yeah. of people in uh, Michigan and Detroit specifically, like they're starting to get priced out the market. You yeah. know, a lot of people are saying, well, it's gentrification. is all this stuff yeah. like that. You can still get in. You just don't have the money. Right. Gentrification, in my eyes, is not a race thing. It's a class thing. It is. Because there are people who are of, you know, brown complexion that's getting into Detroit as well. Right. A lot of people from India. Right. Hotels are being bought up by, by uh, a lot of individuals from India, yep. the Middle East, yep. um, Africa. Um, a, lot of, a lot of people from, Ethi- uh, from Nigeria, Ethiopia, South Africa, and Cape yep. Town, they're buying property in the yep. United States because it's, it's so much harder to get property, number one, on that side of the, the country because right. of, you know, social things. Right. But even like, you know, there's a lot of um, black Africans in England, mm-hmm. and you can't get real estate in Great Britain and England because it's all sewed up and all stacked up and right. all so tiny. So right. they're making trusts and stuff like that and buying things. And when you look at like where these holding companies are from, mm-hmm. it's like, well, wow. Track back to Ireland, England. Yeah, you, you know, oh, everywhere else, you know. So yeah. you got a question for you, uh, for the people. If I have a person, right, mm-hmm. um, that is – kind of okay with their daily budget. They're doing all right. They got a little bit of disposable income. Mm-hmm. What are a couple of steps they need to do to kind of get started? Okay. So, you know, it's a few different paths that you can take. And uh, I actually shared a, a thought on my blog recently, uh, which is how I generate six months of savings, right? So you take somebody who, um, you know, is doing okay, but the average, again, going back to averages, the average American doesn't have $500 in emergency savings, right? The average American can't uh, afford a thousand dollar emergency. Right. So, you know, how do you get yourself positioned? Because financial health, including investing, is all of that, all of the above. Um, going back to how I created six months of savings, um, and I think this puts you in a better position to be an investor. Mm-hmm. Is I started prepaying all my bills. Right. Okay. So my water bill comes at sixty dollars. I'll pay ninety on it. Okay. You repeat that over the course of the year. I have six months of my water bill paid up. So I could take a six-month vacation from paying bills and nothing gets shut off, Mm -hmm. right? Now, if you repeat that with all your bills, every bill that's prepayable, so that's water, utility, uh, or energy, rather, um, that can even be uh, rent if you have it. uh, All all those things. You can prepay a lot of that stuff. And just it's easier for people to do that because – you know, I've definitely, you know, we've all had ups and downs, right? right. So on my hard times, it's like, man, I, 
I don't know how uh, <laughs> I can get to the point where I have cash flow <laughs> right. like that. Like I'm always broke. How do you get from that to, you know, being free and being able to be like, you know what, I'll put a thousand dollars on the market this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of times people have their checking accounts and their savings account at the same place. They get low on checking. They just transfer those savings right back into checking. Right. And then it, it defeats the purpose and they keep running on this treadmill. So if you put that money at the biller, you can't get it. It's gone, right? Right. And you have six months of bills prepaid. So you could get into an accident or you could go on vacation and not have to worry about spending money because all your bills are prepaid. So when you get back, you don't have like, oh, my God, I spent all my money on vacation. I'm going to pay half of my water bill. Right. So once you get to that point and you're at a place where you're like, okay, you know, how do I get started investing? Um, the first thing you do is open an account. You know, okay. so you, you just mentioned about how you deal with T. Rowe Price. You can do those accounts online and there is no shortage of banks or broker dealers. Broker dealers are like Fidelity, TD Ameritrade, uh, T. Rowe right. Price, all those different companies. They want your money. Right. right? They want the money. Right. They want it. They make it easy. <laughs> and it's almost it's almost too easy to open an account online because it, you can be done in five minutes. Man, I'm you telling know? you, dude, it, it's so easy. And it's like, it's easier than opening a, a, a bank, bank account. account. Dude, bank it literally require is. more information. It right? literally is. So like, if you want to open a bank account, they have to do all this fraud check and stuff. And they like, they'll actually give you a hard time in some right. cases with an investment account. They're like, ah, psh, of course, <laughs> as long as you can put some money in it, give it, we'll open that account. So the first thing is to open that account. Second thing I would say, is uh, determine what your goal is going to be. You know, if you want to take, you know, take the risk and day trade, that's cool. I'm not saying it's a problem with that. You can make money. You can be successful. Some people make an entire living doing it. Mm-hmm. That's wonderful. Um, but if you want to invest, if you want to be that long-term investor, you want to be more likely to get to that million, then that's going to determine your uh, investment mix, right? Okay. So. You're not going to just open an account and start buying things. And we see this in people's 401ks, right? I have, you know, siblings, cousins, a lot of people around me who have 401ks. And they're like, yeah, I just picked some stuff. I don't know what I picked. Can you look at it for me? (laughs) Right? So you don't want to be that person because even though just throwing darts at the board is better than doing nothing at all, you can leverage yourself to a better position if you have a strategy. Right. So those long-term strategies that will get you closer to that million than not are accessible to you. It's easy. You just have to know what to look for. I just pulled up the uh, the actual statement. So mm. it was seventeen, uh, $1,716.37. Mm. That's from when it was deposited. Mm. And today... As of right now, I'm on the app. Let me go back to the uh, the homepage. Portfolio. Cancel. Pending. And let's see. It's loading up now. Refreshing. So $1,700 is now $3,169.30. Yeah, and it was higher than that a few weeks ago. Yeah, so it's probably yeah. so I think that was the thirty three that I saw. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So the market kind of dipped a little bit, but that yeah. was on the account that I had even forgot I put money into. Right. So and it, it, people, people, and you said that was in three years, right? Uh, no, that was four years. Four so years. Okay. It, it was 2015, and like it went in. Okay. Yep. So you know, there's a lot of people I know who, for whatever reason, you know, they get a lump sum of cash, whether it's taxes or they get a settlement or they get an insurance payout, payout from you know a death in the family, something like that. And all too often, you know, especially in our community, we see people who 
end up with very little to show for it. Right. Now imagine if you had put ten thousand there. I mean, that's a house. Yeah. You know, that's I house. mean, it would have been it would have been there. Yeah. I mean, you know, hindsight twenty twenty, right? Like <laughs> right. I tell most people, right. you know, uh I tell like and I tell so many individuals, you know, is just get started somewhere, somehow, but right. be smart when you're doing it. Right. Because don't let emotion don't let emotions get to you. Like right. I detached emotional Emotional. I mean, okay, it feel good. Like, yeah, my money doubled, but I attached, I detached the emotional outlook of it, which right. is probably why the reason I forgot about it. Because one of the most stressful things that I've seen from people do, and I've seen what people do with their action, they put in a couple hundred bucks and they literally check in the application every single day. And get discouraged. And they get discouraged, and it's like just let it ride, and then they usually end up pulling the money out, and then you know next week. I don't know, the company that they bought the stock in gets to do a stock buyback yep. or gets acquired or does yep. a partnership yep. or launch a new product and then the stock price goes up and then it's like, well, dang, I missed out on all that growth, right. you know? And people are afraid of having that feeling. Yeah. And and they avoid the market or, you know, they, they just generally don't participate to their own detriment. You right. Know, like you said earlier, you have to generate income for later. You know, we are all going to get to the point where we cannot earn a living, mm-hmm. right? Either we'll be too old, too sick, or just undesirable in the market. I mean, we hear of ageism in the hiring right. uh, field now. Like, people who are 50, 60 years old, still very capable of doing a job, are just not favored compared to people 20 or 30 because they work cheaper. You right. know, that younger group works for less. And they'll work harder. And they so, got less medical costs, less, less working yeah, with scop. All cheaper, that stuff goes into a... Yeah. Right? So... Whether you're going to be healthy or not, when you get to that point in life, you what are you going to do? You know, we hear all the time Social Security is at threat. You can't depend on Social Security. And <laughs> even if you could, Social Security is $1,000 a month in most cases. Yeah, it but, ain't doing that. Yeah, like that, what, what very few of us could live on $1,000 a month right. today. I can't live on $1,000 no. a month. No. So since we all know costs are getting higher with every year, like when we were in high school, gas was like a dollar a gallon. Right. Gas is three fifty a gallon, yeah. right? It's tripled the price in that time. So I don't know what it's going to be in fifty years, but I know when I'm too old to work, I still need to consume fuel. Like I'll be driving somewhere, yeah. I'll be eating, I'll be living in a home. Right? <laughs> All of these are very real costs that are practical. I mean, we're not talking about like, oh, how am I going to be able to afford to vacation? Oh, forget that. How will you eat? Yeah, how you gonna eat when you're eighty years old? Right. You know? And um, we, our generation. And even people a little bit older than us don't have the benefit of pensions. Like, right. I don't have a pension. My grandparents have pensions. My mom didn't even have a pension. Mm-hmm. So you, 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 it's all on you. You know, it's not on Social Security. It's not on your employer putting money aside for you and them just being benevolent. And therefore, and even if they are, we saw pensions getting cut when the city of Detroit filed uh, bankruptcy. Yep. People were getting pensions that got sliced in half. Right. So you can't depend on the benevolence of, <laughs> whatever it is you imagine that's going to support you in that time of your life. Like you need to be doing something today. And like you say, you need to, you know, get to the point where you're doing something. Right. And if you do that, then to start to think about how you can do it smartly. Exactly. Right? Now let's talk about pensions for a minute because people seem to think that pensions still exist out here. Mm. So a pension or defined contra- uh, defined, defined ben- benefit. benefit plan. Right. Um, when we, when we think about that, you know, what actually a pension is, is that, you know, correct me if I'm, I'm going to make it simple, but correct me if I'm off if you got a different insight, right? So what a pension will be, typically the 
employer will sacrifice some of your income. So let's say, for instance, you got an $80,000 job, but they'll pay you $60,000, but you get a pension. Mm -hmm. They would then take that money, put it into what's called a pension fund for the company, Mm -hmm. build up a particular nest egg, so that way you can live off the actual returns that generated from the pension fund, whether they got it in you know, bonds or company stock or a mixture of them all, you know, there's this pension fund that essentially is accounted for and paid um, out to people that are actually retired. Mm -hmm. Now, typically with the pension, you know, if a person had a defined benefit plan, you know, they say, okay, you work for 30 years, at 30 years, you're eligible to start drawing from this pool of money Mm -hmm. that we've then, you know, kind of uh, set aside for you. You know, and I'm talking 25, 30 years ago, right? They then set aside for you. Now you got this money coming in, and let's say, for instance, you retired, you know, you got this income for life. If you pass away, you can then give the money uh, typically to your surviving spouse. You know, right. they can get the pension or a child or something like that. Right. It usually goes one person outside of that. Um, so when they switch it from divine, defined benefit plan to a, div- a defined contribution plan, which is your 401k, your IRA, your traditional, your Roths, right. um, now, what the, now what they said is that you have to take – your own money mm-hmm. and invest it for yourself. And if you do that, we'll reward you a little bit by giving you some type of match right. or giving you some type of tax deduction or right. give you some type of tax break in the future. Right. Now, the one thing that cracks me up about the whole situation, this could just me being a little bit conspiracy theorist or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, they never paid the extra money that used to go out to the pension. Mm-hmm. You know, we just kind of just stayed there, you know, because right. it was like, okay, you know, obviously you got to use this money to build the pension fund, but now it's a defined contribution plan. Why well, ain't got that money back? You right. know, y'all still left me at the sixty thousand, and then tell me I got to invest for myself, dude. Is right. there any truth to that? Or am I just off my rocker? So, uh, you you got a lot of it right. I say the vast majority of it. Pensions aren't defined, so for legal reasons, right? Yeah. You can't say that uh, it's an eighty thousand dollar a year job and we'll pay you sixty. Thus, twenty is going to. Yeah, of course, of course. That, you know that would presuppose uh, an individual value in that account. So Correct. the thing about defined uh, benefit plans and and what we colloquially call as pensions is there's no individual value. So right. you as a participant in the plan don't get to claim a percentage of the value of those assets. So. Um, but the money has to come from somewhere, though, right? The money. So when most companies fund their pension, usually they fund it from a gift from the corporation itself. Okay. So the you know Ford Motor Company will set up a one hundred million dollar. I'm just using raw number. Just crazy yeah. This numbers. is all. This is all yeah. example. We're just yeah. speaking in theory here. So the Ford Motor Company might take a hundred million dollars that it had cash on hand and say, you know what, this is going to be a gift to employees, and and not gift in the sense of because gift carries other taxes. Yeah, things, yeah, right? you know. <laughs> this is going to be a, a, a benefit that we provide to our employees. Right. Um, and then from there, you have people who work at the company like myself who will say, okay, we need to invest this money to generate returns that can pay those pension recipients. Mm-hmm. And then we also need to, you know, make sure that the assets are growing in a fashion that will support that growing population. Right. Now, when you get to defined um, contribution, that is the individual level. Mm-hmm. So how I said where you as a person cannot say I own 1% of that pension, you as a person can say I own my retirement account. Right. Um, the benefit or match that some companies will provide is their way of saying uh, this is the limit of our liability. Mm-hmm. So let's say 
you know, at Henry Ford, for example, let's say our pension is underfunded. I'm not saying it is. Yeah, we I'm just. I'm not saying that it's just my employer and Ford is just on my mind. So yeah. if it's underfunded, the company is responsible for paying out those benefits anyway. Mm-hmm. So we might take a million dollars out of the pension plan and pay benefits. And then we need to take another million from operations and pay those benefits. Yeah, and that's what and that's what my point is. Like yeah. the money comes from there's well, a variable cost in there. Well, that's the short, so the shortfall comes from operations. Correct. So um, the pensions represent liabilities mm-hmm. on companies' books because at a certain point, unless they close that pension, there's going to be a, a funding shortfall. Most pen, the average uh, in order for a pension to be considered funded. It needs to meet 90% of its funding obligation. Mm-hmm. So if they expect to pay a million dollars in benefits out this year, if they have enough to pay $900,000, they are considered funded. That 100000 is going to come from operations, which could put the company at a loss. Mm-hmm. So when they do defined contribution, what they're saying is, look, if you put in 1000 I'll give you 5%, which is 50 mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's it. Right. I'm, not, I'm not carrying any liability forward. So pensions um, went away because... You know, just being perfectly honest, Wall Street got greedy, right? Mm-hmm. And, and as a participant in Wall Street, we all should be participants in Wall Street. The idea was if I take a company that has no pension liability, that's doing the exact same thing as a company with a pension liability, the first one will be worth more because mm-hmm. they don't have that liability on their books, which means I can either take out a loan and leverage that loan to generate more revenue or the company can just take more risks. Right? Right. It, it can invest in new markets. It can take more risks and opportunities doing things that the other company that's that's burdened by that debt right. or that liability would never be able to afford to do. So Wall Street began to reward companies that got rid of pensions. Mm-hmm. And that's why it became a more mass thing. Like, you know, nobody offered pensions anymore because they want Wall Street to invest in their company. Right. So okay. it, it went away for that reason. It's not really um, so much of a selfish thing on the company's part because most pensions at that time were funded. Were what, like City of Detroit pension up until the 90s was overfunded. Right. So it's not uh, fair to say that pensions were overall underperforming. They were actually doing pretty good even into the 90s. But by then, those were the last of the last. Yeah. <laughs> and if you didn't catch that wave, you you're out. Uh, yeah. You know, you you were on a defined contribution plan where it's on you. Right. And that's just me being kind of cheeky saying that, you know, they take the specific yeah. money. But that but you but you're right though. You know, if you go into a point to where you're underfunded, mm-hmm. you have to pull that money from somewhere. Right. And if it's operations usually because operations is a variable cost that can be controlled with inside of a company, right. which you know, labor costs, different things like that right. can be reduced. And the overall psychological effect of it too, you know, right. most people are willing to take a slightly lower wage if that means that I'm going to be here, I'm going to plant my flag here. Right. And I, you know, I can plant my flag here and I know in 25 years you guys are going to give me a pension. Most mm-hmm. people are okay with taking that as opposed to not having to put in that extra cost of yourself or self-funding your retirement. Right. You know, it's one of those it's one of those things that I think that people need to understand where the marketplace is going, right? Mm-hmm. I don't see any inclination of a pension coming back. No. Um, it's it's a very hard pill to swallow for most companies. It's a hard thing to go back to once it's gone. Man, I mean, you think about it now, right? You have individuals, say, for instance, if I went in and worked as an engineering apprentice, right, mm-hmm. back in the 60s or the 70s, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and I worked until I was 50 years old, mm-hmm. okay? And I retired my 30 years and I was good. Mm-hmm. 
well, I was I was probably living if I had a, if I was taking care of myself doing my I might live for twenty years. Mm-hmm. And when you think about twenty years of paying somebody and there's no production directly tied to that, mm-hmm. that is a heavy liability for a company, right? Yeah, people living longer and and it costs people are living longer and costs are increasing faster. Yeah. So that's like a a feedback loop that just makes pensions very unattractive right. companies. Yeah. So I like to, I like to, I'm not saying like people say, well, you know, they need to bring back some pensions. Who are they? Number right. one. And there's a specific reason why it's not there. Right. So, um, and I want to kind of transition because I want to paint the landscape of what people, um, can do like starting today and what they can actually do to take action. Because I'm real big on action, right? Mm-hmm. So when I tell people you're doing something financially, you know, if you listen to different episodes of the podcast, people know I'm big on getting your emergency fund up. I'm mm-hmm. big on minimizing those taxes. I'm big on getting that debt in order mm-hmm. in order to get them to a point to where they actually can go out and invest. Because you're either going to participate in them. Well, listen, you're going to participate in the market regardless mm-hmm. if you win or you lose, right? Because yeah. whatever you participate because you're someone else's leverage. Exactly, right? <laughs> like, you're going to be you in the market, right? Yeah, like as an investor, if you work at any of the companies I'm invested in, you work for me. Yeah. Now that that that's kind of facetious because it's like I'm a small I'm like the smallest of small investors when you consider cuz mm-hmm. you know, you have people out there that move 50 million dollars at a time. Right? right. But at the end of the day, I'm getting paid for you coming up with that new idea. I'm getting paid for you coming up with a new Mustang. I'm getting paid when you come up with a new you know, expedition or the new navigator, which is right. gorgeous. But yeah, <laughs> like I get paid for all of those things. I get rewarded for your labor. So right. even if you're not putting your own money in the market, you're my money. Yeah. And, and I think phrasing it that way, people take umbrage with that. People are like, oh, I don't want to work for you. I'm going to work. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then right. they, they go do it themselves. <laughs> so when I, I find when I phrase it that way, people are like, oh my God, wait, no, I, I don't want to work for you. <laughs> and then they want to go and be a little bit more active. But I'm sorry, please. No, no, that's you're exactly right. That's the whole point is like how to get that mind shift like started. It's just yeah. thinking a little bit differently yeah. about what it is. You know, when you think about every single product, you know, the smartphone we got in our pocket, mm-hmm. you know, all those things that go into making there, you know, like if I think about iPhone, yeah, you got Apple who made the iPhone, right? Mm-hmm. But then you got Qualcomm who made the processors, Samsung, Samsung Intel. Yeah. Um, you got uh, even like companies like Corning and stuff like that that makes yep. different type of glass. glass. You like all these things go into the 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 make of a smartphone, you know. And I'm, I just say iPhone because people can recognize that. But there might be seven, eight different sub- tier one suppliers involved in making an electronic mm-hmm. piece of electronics. Like for example, you take a computer, right? Mm-hmm. You might have a AMD chip. Yep. With a um, you know, with the Radeon graphics inside of an ASUS case with the technically a Sony or Samsung screen, yep. and you know, it's like four different companies, and a lot of people just because it says MSI or ASUS or right. Dell, like all the companies work together anyway yep. because there's specific subdivisions that make up that, you know. Right. Um, so I tell people to look at look at it from that standpoint too. Mm-hmm. Look at all the companies that you're supporting with your hard-earned dollars that you have to go out and actually work for mm-hmm. to dump into a marketplace, and you're being leveraged off your money, not only your labor, but also off your money. How can you participate in all that circulation of money going around? You know. Um, so, with that being said, if you you had to give somebody like, I hate to say the mic drop, the one liner, you know mm-hmm. what I'm saying, but 
just something that they can take away from right now, the one thing to go just just kind of nail it home for them to actually get started investing, what would that be? I would say open an account at Fidelity okay. or E-Trade. Now, why do I say those two specifically? Well, I have accounts there. I'm not endorsed by them. I'm just familiar with those platforms. I'm comfortable with them. I like them. And the second reason is the broker you pick has a specific relationship. So Fidelity offers more mutual funds than E-Trade does just because they're bigger, right? Mm-hmm. So if you pick a really small broker, somebody like, uh, I don't know, Scott Trade is a little bit smaller than E-Trade. You won't have as many selections. You won't have as many options because they just don't offer those. Or right? even like, um, you remember a company called Capital? K-A-P-I-T-A-L. It was Cap it All. Yeah. Then it was like the video game yeah. deal. Yeah. That I, I, I wouldn't have accounted that platform because, you know, I'm kind of a gamer. And I enjoyed what they did for like the two years before uh-huh. they start making the app. Uh-huh. I still don't think they got the marketplace platform done. I actually got money sitting over. I need to just... It's through Apex Clearinghouse, okay. so I think I'm just gonna cash it out because uh-huh. I joined it. Like they, so what they did was they gave us a traditional. So as they've been redoing the app and mm-hmm. the games and stuff inside of there, you know, they gave us a traditional um, insert broker screen, like a TD Ameritrade or a Fidelity or anything like that. So um, it had all those things, like um, you know, your basic chart. And it's like, well, you guys prided yourself on making it simple, mm. easy with the boxes, the games to earn free trades and all that stuff. Yeah. You took that, got rid of that platform, and then put us on a traditional black screen, red numbers, white numbers yeah. thing. And you took away the you took it away. So it's like it was so small and so little resources that they kind of just yeah. just fizzled out, you yeah. know? But I, I just I got a little pet peeve with the smaller brokers nah, like that. I, I understand. And Robinhood is another one very similar. You mm-hmm. know, Robinhood is very popular among millennials um, because it's easy, it's straightforward. It's only on the app. I don't even think you can use it on a desktop. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you go on Robinhood, their offering of funds, like they'll get you stock. Robinhood is good for stock. But if you're looking at mutual funds, just forget about it. Forget because about it. It's not that they offer bad ones. Like all these brokers, for the most part, offer the same thing, mm-hmm. right? So the broker Fidelity E Trade is not offering. Fidelity does have their own mutual funds, but they're not offering anything that the others can't. They're just the portal through which you can buy that asset, right? So um, Robinhood, because they're so small, they can't afford to offer all the mutual funds that Fidelity can, right? right. It costs them money to do that, so they offer a very small selection where. If you were on Fidelity, you could buy everything that Robinhood sell and then some. Right. right? Now break so, it down real quick for the for the listeners. Mm-hmm. Mutual fund, what is it? Give me a definition. Okay, so a mutual fund is uh you know coming back to the S and P five hundred for example. The S and P five hundred is an index. It's a list of um, the five hundred largest companies in the country. A mutual fund is an investment that you can buy that. Is like an index. So the mutual fund might say, you know, um, Fidelity 500, right? The Fidelity 500 is a mutual fund that buys the S&P 500. It buys those 500 companies. Okay. And for one low price, you can buy all 500 companies. So the idea behind a mutual fund is to allow easy diversification, right? And uh, I'm going to come back to that. But just to, you know, round out the, the idea about what someone can do today Open an, an account mm-hmm. at Fidelity or E-Trade. And again, I'm not endorsed or endorsing them. I'm just saying that's what I'm comfortable with and that's who I have accounts at. And two, um, buy a 
500 index fund. Okay. Right? <laughs> Just because we know that the S&P 500 is the standard metric by which all other investments are measured. So just buy that. It's going to have the lowest fees. It's going to get you, you know, invested in the market. And if you forget about it for three years or 10 years, right, <laughs> yeah. your money is going to double, triple, whatever it's going to do. And, you know, you'll you'll be in a much better position than if you had. Based so, off historical performance, that, off that historical is just there. That's right. So historically, the S&P did 9.8. If you just shorten it to the last 10 years, it's closer to like 20. Right. Right. So 20% a year for... Uh, 10 years is going to quadruple your money. Correct. Okay. So um, coming back around to what a mutual fund is, let's let's give you two separate examples. Okay. Robert, I want to buy stock. Mm-hmm. Okay, well, you need to diversify because if you bought General Motors before 2008, it w- people forget so easily GM went bankrupt. Yeah. That's GM's true. original shares are worth nothing. Yeah. You have to have new GM. Right. <laughs> old GM is worthless, right? So if you bought all GM stock, you will be broke. Right. The key or the way to, you know, overcome that risk is to diversify, is to have, is the old saying, don't put all your eggs in one basket. Mm-hmm. Don't put all your money in one company. Right. But every time you buy a stock, whatever broker you work with is going to charge a fee. Okay. So if I buy one share of new GM for $100, right, it's not worth 100 but let's say it's 100 I'm going to pay a $5 fee at Fidelity. Okay. Every time I so my cost on that is one hundred and five dollars. If I want to sell that share and make money, I need to be at one hundred and six, right? Mm-hmm. But it's only worth a hundred. That's what I paid for. I, you can't get around paying that broker fee. It's five dollars. Period. Right. Everywhere you go. So if you want to buy ten different companies, you'll pay fifty dollars in fees just to buy that those those companies, right? That's a lot of money, and and that's what you pay to diversify, and all that money bought you. 10 companies, right? $50 in fees bought you 10 companies. Right. If you go to a mutual fund, on the other hand, you could buy 500 companies. The fee is just rolled up into the price of the share. So the good thing about Fidelity and especially E-Trade is they have mutual funds that they are partnered with. So they don't charge you any fees to buy Mm. into them, right? So you can buy into that mutual fund and pay no fee at all. Right. If you buy that mutual fund for 50 bucks, you bought 500 companies for $50. The fee that you pay is less than a dollar mm-hmm. for those 500 companies. So if you're in a supermarket and you're looking at, hmm, I can buy five pounds of beef because it's Memorial Day weekend. Right. I can buy five pounds of beef for $5 or I can buy two pounds of beef for $20. Which one would you buy? Exactly. Like, it's that simple. So when you look at mutual funds, um, it's a way for you to diversify your assets so you're not concentrated on one company and, and exposing yourself to that risk. And that's a way for you to get into a role where you don't have to actively be looking at it all the time because that fund company is doing that management for you. Just like you mentioned with the T-Row price, mm-hmm. they sent you a, a notice saying they were rebalancing. Yeah. They're doing that. It's analysts who work there whose job is to say, oh, my God, we should rebalance today. Right. <laughs> and they do that <laughs> on your behalf, and they're doing it because the more money they make you, the more money they make. Right. So and it's just, and I know we laugh about it, but people though people might not get it. Like because markets can move overnight, yeah. literally people come in in the like, morning like, "Yo, we need to do some changes." <laughs> <laughs> so you know that you have this, you you are paying less than a dollar a year for people to work on your behalf to make as much money for you as they can. They have all the resources at their disposal that they need to do that, and you know you were diversified for a tiny fraction of what you would have paid trying to buy individual stock. So right. 
if you are that long-term investor, the S&P 500 index fund, like a Fidelity 500, I think they call it Fidelity Freedom Funds or something like okay. that. Um, you know, I, I, I'm not invested in those funds, mm-hmm. but just because Fidelity is such a well-known household name, like they have everybody's 401k, mm-hmm. you probably already have an account there anyway. Right. You just and don't know it. You might not know it or you might not access it. But if you do, just log in, open a traditional or a Roth IRA, either one. Talk to a tax professional to help you out if you're not sure. But um, just buy a Fidelity 500 fund. Like, just buy it. Just do it. And don't look at it. After you buy it, don't just forget about it. it. Don't look at it for like six months <laughs> yeah. and then revisit it and see, oh my God, I made $80. Right. That feels good. I'm gonna put I'm gonna put another hundred into it. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna put another five hundred into it. And let those profits motivate you. On the other hand, if you have losses, don't be discouraged because again, two thousand eight happened. More people got rich because of two thousand eight than people who lost. Right. Or to put it to put it a different way, more money was made off of 2008, the crash of 2008, then was lost. Right. So there will be market downturns, just like we're seeing right now. The S&P is down 4% from its high this year. That doesn't feel good, but it's also a buying opportunity. You'll hear the phrase often, buy the dip. This is the dip. Right. Buy it. You'll, you'll be much better off than if you just took all your money off the market because, oh, my God, it's down 4%. I don't want to lose anymore. Right. right. And the big thing is, too, and then uh, we're going to talk about what you got going on, because I'm actually excited for people to hear about, um, you know, some of the things that you set up for individuals to actually get into this investment game and get into, you know, what it is they need to do. And I look at it like this, and this is what I tell everybody. Always remember the media is there to sell you something. So if it's raining cats and dogs... Umbrellas. Umbrellas. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> and and they, they're always going to make it, you know, seem worse than what it is, right? right. You know, they'll say, uh, you know, it'd be like CNBC today, you know, GM opened up at, you know, uh, 50 cents down or where they were supposed to right. be and they're crashing due to right. a warranty issue. It was like 50 cents. Like, right. you know, it's going to fluctuate. Right. So, and I look at all that stuff in the market and look at the media. And as we're perceiving things, we have to understand that. We got an understanding how to read investments. We have to understand how to search investments that fit our needs. We have to understand what it means to actually look at a performance chart, what the, what it is to look at composition, mm-hmm. and all those things there. And I think that's the most important thing that's left out as far as investing in investment education. Mm-hmm. So you worked out something that's pretty dope um, that people can learn that back end of things that I think is what's needed. Mm-hmm. You know, it's... Okay, cool. You got your micro-investing apps. You got your Robinhood, your stashes. You got your uh, Acorns, mm-hmm. which I use a lot of that stuff, too. Micro-investing is cool, but yep. it's just that is micro-investing. Right. That's my vacation fund. Exactly. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? It's, it's micro. You grow some money. You pull it out. You right. do what you want to do with it. Right. It's cool. But you're not really, like, participating in the market to really set up that wealth for you and your family, you right. know? Um, and I haven't even – I'm pretty sure it's there, but – you know, one of the things I use to di- differentiate those micro investment platforms versus real investment platforms, like you get what's called a um, a beneficiary designation form sent to mm-hmm. you when you open up an account. Mm-hmm. So, like, you know, T. Rowe Price will send you, like, okay, who do you want to name in case something were to happen to you, right. where this money's going to go? Right. Is this going to go to a trust? Is it going to go to your wife, your yeah. children? So usually I use my my gauge is that is. That's a very good point. Do they actively send you that? Right. Then usually you're playing with the big boys. Right. If they don't, 
not saying you can't call and do it, right? But if it's not on that platform, they're just not mentally there, right? So right. that's how I use my delineation between micro investing platforms and you know the major players. You know, that's a good point. Um, so with with that being said, the back end of learning, man. Mm-hmm. Um, you've made a course, you brought a lot of resources, put it all together to teach people um, really the back end portion of what they need to do to identify their investment needs. Yep. So kind of take us through. You know, a couple minutes of what it is, what it what it does, and who does it who does it fit? All right. So, uh, I did create two courses. Uh, the courses right now are named the uh, Self Investor Masterclass mm-hmm. and the Day Trading Masterclass. So, if you want to do both, of course you can. But they're geared to people who have those specific interests, right? Right. Um, the idea is uh, too many people know that they need to do something. And are not taking the action to go do it. Okay. So in the self-investor masterclass, I use day-to-day language. Like I'm not talking like, you know, uh, you, know you really need to look at the PE ratio when it crosses the Bible curve at the 1.3 retracement level, you need to do X. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like that's that's typical finance because I'm not doing that. I'm talking to you like I would talk to my mom or my sister and say, all right, look, this is what we need to do to take you from a novice to a self-investor who feels confident when you walk into your broker's office and feel like they're not speaking over your head, or you just feel confident logging into your account because you know what you're looking at and what you're going to do next with it. So in those courses, I'm taking you through you know, the very beginning stages of, all right, this is um, how we set our mindset. This is what we're looking for in terms of uh, our actions that are going to follow that mindset. Right. And then we go into the individual specifics. You know, these are the account types. This is how you use that account. These may be some of the tax implications from those accounts, uh, along with uh, contribution and withdrawal limits, because those are important, right? And then on the back end, we finish with uh, how do you analyze your account? Mm -hmm. So you're getting a statement in the mail. What does it mean? What are the different parts of that statement? How do you look at your investments to determine are they doing good or bad? Because there are things to compare it to. You just need to know where to look and how to understand it. So... The idea is to take you from beginning to end so that by the time you finish that course, you walk away feeling like you're a better version of yourself than when you started. Okay. You feel like you're that individual who can share that wealth of knowledge with the people you care about, right? So that course, uh, along with the day trading course, which is a lot more technical, there I do get into FIBO curve retracements and all of that. Mm -hmm. But you can actually um, go to my webpage, which is candlesticks.com. That's candlesticks spelled with a K. Okay. That's going to get you into just a free uh, version of one of those courses so that you can see the value that I'm trying to bring to the table. Absolutely. Uh, once you complete that, you know, we can talk some more about getting into the master classes, but it's definitely something that is useful for everyone, right? So it doesn't matter if you're 18 years old and you just want to get a head start, or if you're 40, 45, 50, and you know you might be a little bit late to the table, you need to catch but you, up you have to eat anyway. Mm-hmm. This course is for you because it's going to take you where you need to be in terms of knowledge, where you need to be in terms of comfort level. Because comfort level is separate from knowledge, right? Like you can know that if you jump off this diving board, you won't die. Right. <laughs> Most people won't <laughs> jump off a diving board. Correct. Right? <laughs> so I want to get you both the skill and the comfort level to be like, you know what? I can do this. You know, and that's that's really the the end goal for both classes. Okay. Now, is it audio, video? It's 
So both of them are uh, video courses. There are notes okay. for you to uh, follow as well. So if you just need something written that you can like zone in on and focus on, that's available. But the courses are primarily presented in a video format. Yes, sir. It's not a timed course or a course that you need to log in at Tuesday or on Tuesday at seven o'clock. Yeah. You can log into this at any time, pull up one of those videos and rewatch it as many times as you need to. It's open 24 7, 365. There's no, you know, cut off on the accessibility of the lifetime access. Yeah, it's okay. lifetime access as well. So once you buy it, you're in it forever. Okay. So they come in, they go to candlesticks.com. That's yep. candlesticks with a K. Candlesticks with a K. They, uh, I assume they give you a little bit of information, quick email, nothing major. Yep. They get the free course to preview at least some of the information, yep. you know, of the intro course. And then from there, if they make a decision, they can go into the master class right. and kind of see what they got. Um, and now with as far as the aspects of the videos, are you like taking them through, you know, are you you're taking them through the actual screen and, you know, I'll come clean, guys. I've seen a portion of the course, you know, so it's you're taking them through like the live screen, the talking head portions, the right. notes, the definitions. It's a lot of content there, and I'm not saying that to be just dis- to um, discourage anybody, but it's got a lot of content there to take you progressively through there. Because, yeah. like I always say, I can sit down. Like people say, they want to invest, right? But like, okay, tell me the difference between a stock and a bond mm-hmm. before we even talk about investing. Mm-hmm. Then my second question is, okay, how much you got in your emergency fund? Nothing. Then my next question is, <laughs> do you know how much you pay in your taxes a year? Nope. If you can't answer those three things for me, we don't even start talking to right. about investing. Like, let's get the financial house in order. Right. So I like the fact that you take them from the beginning to the end, mm-hmm. and you meet everything in between. Yep. And the good and the reason why this is so important is that. If you really want to get in this game, and I know now, you know, ending generational poverty is a buzzword, you know, and then, you know, we, I want to I want to make generational wealth and I want to yep. do all like it's it's catchy, right? It's sexy to say that right, right now, you know. But to really be doing it is gonna take you learning a set of skills that you didn't know before. Yep. See if see if you knew what to do, then you would already be doing it. Right. Like we we know how to, you know. Uh, take care of ourselves. You get up every day, you brush your teeth, you wash your face, you take a shower, you get dressed, you go to work. Mm-hmm. You know how to do that. If you knew how to generate that intergenerational wealth, it wouldn't just be something you talk about. Right. Man. Exactly, man. All right, then, brother. Well, hey, man, I appreciate you coming down, dude. So what's your socials? How can they get in contact with you? They got questions, what they need to do. Yeah, so, you know, I have the uh, uh, Facebook page up. That's Candlesticks Investing Education. Again, Candlesticks with a K. Um, I'm participating in a, a few groups now, so you might see me join uh, some finance groups. I'm joining new groups every day and just sharing my knowledge. If you want to email me directly, it's robert at candlesticks.com. That's Candlesticks with a K. Um, also on Instagram is Candlesticks underscore investing. And Twitter is candlesticks underscore investing as well. Um, so, you know, you can reach out to me directly by email or across any of those social media platforms. You can join any of the groups on my page or I might be joining a group you're already in. And mm-hmm. uh, I'm excited to interact with people because uh, this is something that, you know, amongst men, I kind of catch flack for. Like, I'm not a sports guy. I'm six foot four. I can't tell you who's in the finals. Right. I really can't. <laughs> I don't talk sports, but I talk investing. Like, this is an excuse for me to talk investing all day, every day. Right. So hit me up. Let me know what your thoughts are on the course. If you liked it, if you hated it, what I can add to it to make it better for you. If you just want to ask a question, something very specific, please let me know. I'm happy to help because this is what I'm passionate about. You know, um, I was just talking to somebody earlier today about a business that they started that, was not intended to be a business, right? Mm-hmm. 
And to me, that's the best type. When it's just your passion, it's something that you truly enjoy doing. Yeah, of course, I'm up at 1130 at night looking at, right. <laughs> looking at comments and responding because I'm curious what people think. And more than that, I want everyone to be successful. Like when I got into this career, um, you know, everybody, you know, especially being a young black man at Detroit, right? Nobody around you has that experience or right. has that uh, type of account. Like nobody I, nobody I knew growing up had an IRA, mm-hmm. <laughs> right? <laughs> so you talk about intergeneration, intergenerational wealth and like what that means for folks. I was concerned. I am concerned. You know, I have a lot of family who I've helped. I have a lot who I haven't gotten to yet. But I just get frustrated because I know we're all getting like, you look forward to your birthday. Right. Like, I, I'm so excited for my birthday, but nobody's thinking about the birthday 50 years from now. Right. And 50 years from now, I was like, man, I, I've seen people who were at that point, they were 70, 80 years old and didn't have an option. They're living on $1,100 Social Security check. Wow. I, I don't want that for anybody I care about. So if I can apply that apply that to people I care about, then that applies to everyone as well. Like I don't I don't want to see that. Who will my sons marry? Right. <laughs> right? right. Like I, <laughs> I'm working hard to make my sons and my daughters like good, strong, financially savvy people that will be, you know, able to do their own thing. But I'm it's not about winning personally. It's about all of us winning, everybody winning. Because if I do that for my children and then turn around and look like who will they marry? Right. You know, so I'm really into uplifting everybody. I think that we all just do better when we're doing better together. Absolutely. So I would love for everyone to hit me up on social media directly, Robert at Candlesticks.com, and just let me know what your thoughts are. Marathon continues, brother. (laughs) So rapid fire, I always do this at the end of the podcast, you know. So I just ask some random questions, and you got got to answer them like quick. You know what I'm saying? So coffee or tea? Coffee. Dogs or cats? Dogs. All right, you got a million dollars. What you doing? What you got? Twenty four hours, vacation, vacation. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, investing. I'll, I'll invest eighty percent of it, twenty percent, um, buying something like a house right now. Just upgrade a house, and then uh, I have to do all this in twenty four hours. I have to know what I'm doing. You got to be twenty four hours. You got to be done. It got to be gone. Oh, yeah. Well, that's investing and then a vacation. Vacation, yeah. vacation. All right, brother. Well, hey man, I appreciate you hanging out with us. Um, you know, coming down, spreading your knowledge, and and definitely do. What's been shared here on the on the podcast, guys, that you're listening, this is some some super, super knowledge here. Again, I want to stress the fact, you know, at the Be Great With Your Money podcast, we just talk about raising strategies. You can be great with your money. We don't give investment advice or tax advice, but we do like to give you some insight to start picking your interests in order to let you be great with your money. So that's it for me, guys. It's your boy, James D. Anderson. Ed, I am J.D. Anderson. Shout out to my brother, Robert, coming down to kicking the wheels here on the podcast. If you have not checked out the course, do it now. Candlesticks.com, that's with a K. Yep. Go to the site right now, sign up, get the free information, get the free course. Look, dude, it's accessible. You're ready to actually get going. Take some action. At least check it out. You know, Test it before you drive it. That's the huge thing about it. And, guys, I promise you, if you start learning the back end of this stuff with investing, you're absolutely going to be great with your money. So that's it for me. It's your boy, James D. Anderson, at IMJD Anderson on all social medias. Get it with me. Get at me. Get at Robert. And, guys, we'll be next to another episode very soon. Shout out to the Shop Talk Podcast Network, Urban Podcast Month. We had to get it in. And if you did not know, May is Urban Podcast Month. Peace.